Hello and welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, aliens, psychics, religion, new age, awakening, ascension, starseeds, channeling, holistic health, philosophy, and even dating. Some shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and discoveries, while other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up what spirituality in today's modern world really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelyleah.com or at thelovelyleah on Instagram so we can connect. Become a Patreon supporter to get access to behind the scenes of our guests, freebies, early access to new episodes, discounts on merch, and more. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Alia Lovely and I am here with Marianne Williamson, someone running for president in 2024. How you doing, Marianne? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on. Thank you. It's such an honor to be able to talk to you and talk to you about your goals as the possible future president of our country and what's going on right now and how especially the younger generation has really gotten involved in politics and really gotten involved. We know we're no way past the time where we're sitting back and we're going to let other people, older people handle it for us. We're very much wanting to see a huge change to happen for our generation and our children's generation and so on. So um, because I, I knew you before you were a presidential candidate, because I've read a few of your books and you are someone who the spiritual community is probably, you know, not a stranger to at all. The first question I want to ask you is that since you're running, have you had to go back in the spiritual closet? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I'm talking about the same issues uh, in many cases. It's just being careful with language. Mm -hmm. You know, I respect the fact that we have a tradition in the United States of keeping our political dialogue, our public political dialogue, secular. That's extremely important because we are a religiously pluralistic society. So in order to protect the comfort zone of everyone, we keep the conversation in terms of its language secular. That's very important because freedom of religion means the freedom to observe and to worship however you want or whether or not you want. But that doesn't mean we're to keep the values of a spiritual life out of the conversation. All that spirituality is is a path of the heart. And when economics is disconnected from heart, it is unjust. When foreign policy is disconnected from heart, it is unjust. When environmental policy is disconnected from a reverence for the earth, it is unjust. And, you know, it says in the book of Isaiah, justice, 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 thou shalt pursue. So you don't have to mention that something is written in a particular scripture. You certainly don't break out in prayer at the end of your, your talk. <laughs> no. <laughs> but in terms of the values that I stand on, they're just an extension of everything I've talked about for the last 40 years. How might we be more loving people? Now, what the transformational and higher consciousness community concerns itself with is personal transformation, which is important. But we're also living at a point where we need to extend that conversation beyond just what should I do to what should we do? And that's what I think of politics as. Politics is our collective behavior. It's not just my money and how I spend it. It's our money and how we spend it. I was saying to someone the other day, think of it like three or four of us were standing at a street corner and there's an accident at the intersection and we see that a car got hit we would immediately go, okay, what should we do? We wouldn't say, what should I do? We'd say, okay, what should we do? And we'd say, okay, you call 911. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run over there and see if I can help. Somebody else says, okay, you go into the house and see if you can get more. Mm -hmm. We immediately, we would immediately go into what should we do? And that's what politics um, should be. And also uh, Gandhi said politics should be sacred. And he didn't mean that it should be religious. That's not what he was talking about. But he meant it should come from the deepest place within us. We have been trained to make 
and this is not true of us as individuals. I think we're as decent and we get as real and authentic and mature as anybody else in our personal relationships. Mm-hmm. But in our political conversations, we've been trained to keep it shallow. Yeah. To simply repeat like parrots, the narratives handed down from the PR office of whatever political party. And I think what's happening now, the transformation that I think that this campaign is part of is deepening our understanding, our analysis, our articulation, and obviously, ultimately, our behavior regarding our collective issues as well as our private ones. Mm. And that that's, I mean, perfectly said into my next question, because <clears throat> everybody's talking about this great awakening. And they're all talking about how this huge change is coming, this huge energetic shift is happening. Um, And they talk about it, obviously, more from a spiritual conscious perspective. Can you talk about it more in terms of how we're seeing the current systems starting to disintegrate and what you as a candidate plan to do um, as far as like rebuilding a country that we could actually thrive in and what your opinion might be on what's happening on the energetic level? Well, we're living in two worlds simultaneously. One world is dying. One world is struggling to be born. One world is still ensconced in a deep spiritual sleep. And one world is trying to awaken. But there's a part in the Course in Miracles that's very interesting. It says you don't go directly from sleeping to waking. You go from the nightmare to a happy dream. And then you get to awaken. So when people talk about the great awakening, but they don't want to look at criminal or racial injustice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If they want to talk about the great awakening, but they don't want to talk about environmental desecration. If they want to talk about the great awakening, but they don't want to talk about hungry children. Right. Then that's not an awakening. That's just a state of denial. It's, it's more of a dream state actually. Mm -hmm. So the real spiritual path, of course, the miracle says first, before you awaken, it becomes a happy dream because when you have a planet in which there is no more war, in which there's just justice and people thriving and all the things that we want, it's still in a metaphysical sense will be a dream because it's still within the three dimensions and all of that. But it's the dream out of which you can then awaken. So I think that in terms of these two worlds that are existing simultaneously, and we see it all around us, you see the nightmares and you see the examples of people really trying to do it right. And I think we are called upon to be both death doulas to the world that's dying and needs to fall away, an established order that has become so toxic and so riddled with injustice for the majority of people on the planet and for the earth itself. But how do we help that die in a way that is wise and responsible and conscious as opposed to chaotic Mm -hmm. and even violent? And then how do we give birth to that which is seeking to come forth Mm -hmm. and which is coming forth, but it's coming forth more in terms of individual examples, not yet in terms of powerful, strong political force. And of course, that is what I'm uh, seeking to do with my campaign. Yeah. So for the people who tend to not pay attention to politics because it lowers their vibration, I heard you say something that we've all been a little precious and a little bit traumatized um, and, and tend to not like, cause I used to be one of those people where I was like, I just, I can't watch the news. I can't be involved. It really affects me emotionally. It gives me a lot of anxiety when we live in a world where we are living paycheck to paycheck, people can't buy homes and they can't afford college. They can't afford healthcare. I don't have healthcare at this moment. Like when we're in the situation where like women are facing like some of the most scary times that we've had in our lifetime, at least, um, what do you, what do you say to those people who choose to say, you know what, that's an low vibration. That's an energetic capacity. I'm just not going to deal with it because that's not going to be the reality I choose. And anybody who experiences those types of depths of devastation must have manifested that. Oh, oh yeah. Well, nothing could be more, nothing could be more low vibration Mm, than to use a faux spirituality to justify your own self-centeredness. There is no spiritual or religious path that gives any of us a pass on addressing the suffering of other sentient beings. Now, none of this is to deny or to minimize the conditions that you just spoke to. I speak to them as well. That's why my campaign exists. Mm -hmm. However, 
this preciousness, as you mentioned, this, oh, it's too traumatizing. I think the people who walked across the bridge at Selma were pretty traumatized. Right. I think the women suffragists who were thrown into prison for marching just for the right of women to vote, and then because the conditions in the prison were so awful, went on a hunger strike, and the response of the prison officials was to force metal contraptions over their necks to force feed them. I think they had some anxiety. Can we talk for a minute about the women in Saudi Arabia or the women in the mm-hmm. under the Taliban in Afghanistan? We really have to turn to one another and eschew this trend we've gotten of this, everything is a pain, everything is suffering. We, we do have to toughen up, buttercups. I know these are tough times, but they're not going to change unless we show up to change them. And it is possible. And even though it is true, everything you were talking about, and it is in, unjust, and I wouldn't be running for president if it weren't for those things, at the same time, we have an opportunity to change it. Hmm. We have to celebrate that which remains. And that is despite the corruption of the system, and nobody knows about it more than I do right now, because I'm in the belly of that view. <laughs> there is still the opportunity, should we join together, should we invest our resources of time, energy, money, and everything else, we can start turning the ship away from the iceberg. Mm-hmm. So this idea of I don't go into politics because it's low energy. First of all, if you, and this has been going on for decades, if some of the people who are the highest vibration say, I don't want to go into politics because it's a low vibration. So all the people with higher vibration leave it. How's it going to be anything but more and more low vibration? And this is stuff that, and then in within that low vibration field, they pass policies that then affect you. Mm. Then you almost have no right to complain because you weren't in there. It's kind of like a doctor. If you went to the doctor and you had a broken arm and there was a big gash and there was a bone um, sticking out, would the doctor say, ugh, that looks terrible. Let's go look at your foot instead, because this is gross. <laughs> I mean, the healers of the world are sent to the wound of the world. Yeah. So nothing's more high vibration than to say, how can I serve? And universe isn't going to say, well, just go to the happiest place you can and serve there. No, by definition, serve where you're needed. Mm which we're going to get into deeply here in a little bit. Um, But before we do, um, I want to know a little bit more about you, Marianne, because like, you know, you didn't just wake up one day and say, I decided I want to be president, which a lot of people do. Uh, (laughs) um, We won't mention on this show and are lesser qualified than you are uh, specifically. And since we know that reality television stars can be presidents, like, I don't, I don't think of the question I'm going to ask is what makes you qualified, but yes, like what, uh, in your background, what's what's a little bit of your story? Like, how did you come to a place where you decided that love was the way to lead? Why humanity is so important? Why empathy is something that you want you use as the leading charge? Well, I have had a forty-year career talking about exactly those things. But like I said, my main focus was personal transformation. But I was from the very early days of my career when the AIDS crisis burst forth and so forth. I was always involved as an activist, as a nonprofit activist, founding nonprofit organizations, having to do uh, with helping ill and dying patients, having to do with AIDS, having to do with peace. I was always there. But I felt that the personal, personal change was the root level, the causal level for global transformation. And I still believe that. But that, but we're now at a time of such crisis. It reminds me of a story I once heard Deepak Chopra tell. <clears throat> Deepak Chopra was talking about a very ill patient and was so ill that he uh, prescribed massive amounts of antibiotics. And a family member of the patient said, oh, thank God those antibiotics healed him. And Deepak said, no, that's not what actually happened. The antibiotics kept him alive long enough for his natural healing mechanism to set in. And that I think is analogous to this. Politics is not the level of the ultimate solution, but neither is it possible to leave it out of the formulation. Um, Martin Luther King said, 
the political externalization of the goal of the civil rights movement is desegregation of the American South. But the ultimate goal is the establishment of the beloved community. Neither will work without the other. Because if you are a beloved community, you don't allow segregation to stand. If you are a beloved community, you don't allow a child to go hungry and so forth. Martin Luther King, again, also said, we need external changes in our circumstances and internal changes in our souls. And when I read that, that was when I, I had written a book towards the end of the 90s. It came out, I think, in 1998. And for whatever reason, I felt like I wanted to write a book about America. And when I studied more deeply than I had before, I was interested in the intersection of spirituality and politics. I read about Gandhi. I read about King. You know, I knew about them, but I didn't, you know, yeah. I hadn't done any deep dive or anything. I saw that this is not a wheel for us to reinvent. It's already there. And the two greatest political revolutions of the 20th century were the civil rights movement in the United States and the Indian independence movement. And both of them were led as nonviolent revolution. So what I've come to realize is from a 40 year career, and this goes back into what you said, what makes you qualified for 40 years, I've been up close and personal with what it takes for a person to change their life. And I, to both endure crisis and transform crisis. And I realized that all that a country is, is a group of people. So if you know, if you have a clue as to what changes one life, you're the one who has a clue as to what changes, changes the nation. I'll give you an example. Because the same psychological processes apply. I'll give you an example. If you came to me and you said, my life is in crisis, my life is in trouble, and I was counseling you, as I have with many people, we would talk about all kinds of things, such as, is there anything for you to clean up? Because you're not going to have the future you want unless you're willing to clean up the past. Where are you not now behaving in alignment with the principles on which you stand? Where do you have something to atone for, something to make amends for? And I came to realize, and that's what my book, Healing the Soul of America, was about. A country has to do the same thing an individual does. Mm -hmm. Atone for your mistakes. Make amends. Clean up the past. Not be a hypocrite. Stand on the principles you say you believe in. Be kind. Be generous. Get rid of the arrogance. Get rid of the hubris. Take responsibility for your power. And so I feel that You know, a lot of people say, but you're not a political car mechanic. The problem in our country is not that we don't have enough political car mechanics. It's that we're on the wrong road. We don't need more technocrats. We need some vision. And we need some moral leadership. And I believe that's what moral leadership is, where you stand on principles that are higher than just what anybody wants at any given moment. And that's why I'm running. And that's why I believe my presidency could help fundamentally change some things Hmm. yeah um beautifully said thank you for for that answer thank you Um, because as we're going through and we're really paying attention to for instance the israeli and palestinian uh conflict that's going on right now i watched an interview that you did with uh omar and josh uh josh okay omar badar and josh josh i remember yes yes last names um and i found it it very insightful and incredibly amazing that you had this discussion between um, both parties and yourself. And uh, as a U.S. president and knowing our involvement and our allyship with Israel and knowing that we fund some three billion or so to them every year, um, what is your first order of president to make a logical decision about what peace looks like? Um, for the Israeli community, but as well as the Palestinian community? Well, the $3.8 billion was established by a congressional memorandum, what's called the Memorandum of Understanding. No president can repeal that. That goes until 2028. What the president could do and what I would do, but now remember, everything in this last week, right? everything's in such a people. But we're talking in general. <clears throat> what I was saying long before this last week is that I could and I would say that even though I could not change or repeal, that would have to be done with the congressional action, the $3.8 billion given, I could and I would declare that none of that money could be used 
for any purposes that transgressed our values, such as the occupation, such as the settlements, such as the blockade of Gaza. We, our highest, you know, our North Star should be the Declaration of Independence. And, and every problem that we're having is because we're deviating from the principles of the Declaration of Independence. Um, we hold these truths to be evident, self-evident, all men are created equal. Hmm. And that should be our highest alliance to remember that. Our highest alliance should be to humanity itself. Now, right now, I think it's important how we talk about this. Right. Something extremely evil occurred. Mm -hmm. And I will not say anything to minimize that evil. Agreed. And the people who were killed by Hamas and were held hostage by Hamas are no more responsible for the actions of the Israeli government than the average citizen of Gaza is responsible for the actions of Hamas. And I've been very disturbed recently in the last week, by the way, by the minimizing right. of, of that evil. That is not to say that this came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So there have been, and I certainly would address, and I wrote an article called, uh, I don't know if you've read it, I know they sent it to you, it's on all yeah. my social media, um, an eye for an eye uh, leaves everyone dead. We would not have expected the United States to not go after Al-Qaeda. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we should not expect Israel to not go after Hamas. The issue is how do they do that? Now, let's go back a little bit. When President Trump signed the Abraham Accords, these, this was an agreement that made Israel and quite a few powerful Arab nations have a much higher level of economic partnership. A lot of the Arab countries that were just ready to move on from the Palestinian issue. And so the, the Abraham Accords minimized the needs for Palestinian justice. I would not have allowed that because the need for Palestinian justice recognizing that the occupation is illegal, recognizing that the settlements are illegal, recognizing the injustice of the, of the blockade. The fact that the United States has, you know, like Obama would mention it, but then he wouldn't really follow up with action. So as you said, there has been a tendency to look the other way. Mm -hmm. Even when we would say, you know, it's not good. And Biden said to uh, Netanyahu, who is an extremely far right leader, this is the most far-right government we've had in Israel ever. Biden said, you know, you're going too far. But even when he said to Netanyahu, you're going too far, he was talking about the, the reform of the, of the judiciary. He wasn't really talking about the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. So I would have uh, been very vocal about the issues I care about, such as the occupation, the blockade, the settlements. I would have demanded that, that none of that money be used for anything that transgresses our values. I would have demanded uh, uh, justice for Shireen Abu Akhlar, the journalist who was killed. And I would have said to Israel, you're going to have to deal with this. You know, it's like they say in Black Lives Matter, no justice, no peace. Mm -hmm. There was no mil military solution to this problem. And I think this week, everybody's clear about that. Unfortunately, what Israel is talking about now is applying even more of a military solution with an invasion of Gaza, which I do not think is a good idea. I made a video about that yesterday and put that on my social media platforms. Just as the people who were murdered by Hamas were innocent of the injustices of, of the Israeli government, the citizens of Gaza are innocent, even those who agree uh, with some things, with the, uh, with the sense of Hamas. Uh, Israel is clearly in a state where it is planning to do whatever it feels it needs to do to crush Hamas. And I'm praying in these, in these last few hours uh, or days, that someone somewhere, uh, there are many, Bahrain, Qatar, Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia. I mean, there are many, there's, there's a lot going on there right now. 
right. plus the European nations, plus the United States. And I pray, and I think people of all people of goodwill should be praying that some kind of international consortium is created that will offer Israel another way to deal with this problem because the idea of a full-scale massive military invasion of Gaza is a perilous, yeah. uh, perilous presents a perilous risk, not only uh, for the people of Gaza and Israel, but it could be for, for the world. This is very, very dangerous. Yeah. It's so nuanced and delicate. And the the issues on both sides are so glaringly apparent. <laughs> um, and obviously I stand with my Jewish friends and I stand with my Palestinian friends, Gazan friends and so on. It's, um, but as an American and someone, our, as our government continues to involve itself in others' affairs, um, we do see a lot of the blind eye when it comes to the apartheid basically that's happening there and situations that feel like um we like what 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 does the normal citizen do in this case like what well the, you elect someone you know excuse me elect somebody who says it different such as mm-hmm. hello me and don't fall for bs like oh but she can't win vote for what you believe um the united states does need to be involved mm-hmm. uh the issue is we need to be involved in a way that's not casting a blind eye to the injustices um of the palestinians um, and like I said, if I had been president, things would have been different. And if I'm president now, if I were president today, I would not be supporting this invasion. I would be supporting Israel and dealing with Hamas. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But I would be very vocal about the fact as now Lloyd Austin, our secretary of defense. Uh, I, I was kind of surprised he gave an interview uh, to PBS yesterday and said that he does not see why the citizens of Gaza should be invaded. I thought that was very interesting that he did that. Um, and as president, I would agree with him. But, you know, when people say, what does someone do as a candidate who represents the very values that so many people are saying they believe in? And then they say, what can we do? And I'm like standing here. Um, <laughs> vote for me, Marianne2024.com. Spend go. money and volunteer and help make it happen. If you say you want fundamental change, vote for a candidate who represents fundamental change. And what would you say to people who kind of, you know, see anybody who's outside of the two-party system, which you're running as a Democrat, correct? Not as an Yes, I am running as a Democrat. Um, So part of the the machine, if you will, they're saying you throw away your vote if you vote for anybody besides the two. Well, I am running as a Democrat. Yes, I know. Yeah, people say I'm going to be a spoiler. You can't be a spoiler when you're running as a Democrat in a Democratic primary. So you just remind someone of eighth grade civics, you know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. So if if you even if you want ultimately for Biden to be reelected, but you'd like to push him in these directions, vote for someone who in the primary could do that. mm -hmm. Um, Already, I have to tell you, I feel somebody over there is clearly watching my videos because everything I say within two days, the president, like the other day, the president said, oh, well, let's remember that the Palestinians are not Hamas. Well, I've just been saying that. (laughs) Um, And I'm I'm glad. Don't get me wrong. That's good. Because if you're moving the needle, then we're moving the needle. Thank you. So uh, I think people have something to think about. Yeah. So what do you think like a logical solution for peace is? Because um, like as far as I see it, like we have a lot of, and my husband and I had discussed this actually, where I was like, getting questions for Marianne. He's like, I want to know, how do we navigate the tribalism that keeps us from practical, logical solutions that like, you know, this whole idea of like us versus them and our idea that we have to keep our beliefs, like our wars are fought on beliefs, like what we believe versus what you believe. And, and obviously the corporatocracy and all that kind of stuff, but like the idea of humanity, how can that prevail in a system that very much prioritizes tribalism like it's me versus you and this is our american flag and this is who we are against so and so how do we actually bridge the gap in a logical solution for peace well the first thing we need to do is have a president who stands not not the first thing we need to do one of the things we need to do is have a president uh who stands for that inclusion within herself as i said before our my north star as i see it is our Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal. All men endowed by God with inalienable rights of life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. 
the government is instituted to secure those rights. And if government isn't doing its job, then the people have the right to alter it. Now, that has been the basis of our history. When we started, 56 men signed that document. That document is a profound spiritual as well as political document repudiating centuries of systems that declared that only a few men, the monarchy and the aristocrats had the power. Well, the challenge in that is However, that that was developed while they were taking slaves. And, well, no, but um, that's what I'm about to say. Okay. 41 of the 56 signers were slave owners. Mm -hmm. So that dichotomy is baked into the cake. That is our DNA. We have been from the beginning, both and. Mm -hmm. Not either or, but both and. And every generation reiterates the struggle, including ours between people who get the profundity of all this, mm -hmm. the meaning of all this, and the call to protect it and expand it, versus those forces who, for their own ideological and financial purposes, have no intention whatsoever right. of seeing those principles actualized and have proven from the beginning and as today that they will go to whatever lengths, including atrocious lengths, to make sure that those principles are not actualized. Now, every generation uh, lives this out, some more dramatically than others. But if you look at the course of our history, truth and justice have tended to prevail. We did respond to slavery with abolition. We did respond to the institutionalized uh, suppression of women with the women's suffragist movement. We did respond to the Gilded Age with the establishment of organized labor. We did respond to segregation with the civil rights movement. The way I see it, Aaliyah, it's our turn now. Hmm. Because today it's not a specific institutional reality. It's an economic paradigm. Okay. It's the idea that short-term profits for huge economic uh, corporate forces should take precedence over the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, should take precedence over the safety and the health and the well-being of the American people. That, that a soulless economic paradigm should take precedence over democracy and humanitarian values. That's the struggle of this moment. Mm. And the political system is in the grips of that corporatism. The Republican Party completely. The Democratic Party, the leadership is corporatist. The, and the progressives seem to, you know, like, look at what we're doing right now, okay, mm -hmm. with Israel. So I have called for this invasion should not occur. Right. So there are all these big progressives in Congress. Where are they? The most that will allow themselves to do is we should have a 48 hour pause or we should um, uh, we should send humanitarian aid to Gaza, which, of course, we should do. Mm. But that's the yeah. left doesn't have a spine. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's not enough, not yeah. enough. So someone like myself, the system says, oh, no, keep her out because mm. she's standing for the radicalism of what the Declaration of Independence actually says. Mm. So this is a moment. When, you know, you, you can't, we need a revolution at the ballot box. This incremental trying to make it better here, trying to make it better there. On this one issue, we'll get it together here. We'll try to uh, elect this person who's just kind of the better version of trickle-down economics. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason this is so important right now is because fascism is at the door. I was just going to say, what are we talking about? Neo-fascism right now okay. and how that's- Not only is fascism- not only is fascism at the door, but it should never have gotten so close. Right. And what Franklin Roosevelt said was that we would not have to worry about a fascist takeover in America as long as democracy delivered on its promises. Now, if democracy was delivering on its promises, we would have what they have in every other advanced democracy. Hello, universal health care. If democracy was delivering on its promises, we would have what they have in every other advanced democracy. Tuition-free college and tech school. Yes. If we had a democracy in the richest country in the world delivering on its promises, the majority of Americans wouldn't be living in economic anxiety paycheck to paycheck. 
We wouldn't have the tentacles of a soulless, malevolent strain of unfettered capitalism reaching into every corner of our civilization, even shackling our young people who are only trying to get an education and burdening them with these college loan debts that I can't, I can't even imagine. Yeah. And you're no longer in your 20s, right? No. I'm about to be 40. I can't even imagine in my 20s having tens of thousands. But I hope you understand that this wasn't true until the 1970s. Before the 1970s, we had tuition-free systems in University of Florida system, University of Texas system, and University of California system. Mm -hmm. And it was when Ronald Reagan became the governor of California and obliterated that, that the Koch brothers went, ooh, he's good. And started funding him because they say, ooh, that guy likes privatization. And it was privatization at the expense of the common good. Well, capitalism without, I mean, some people say it's inherent capitalism. I don't even feel that, but it is definitely a malevolent strain of unfettered capitalism with no guardrails. Mm -hmm. And it is running, it is literally ruining people's lives. We have one in four Americans living with medical debt, an $88 billion medical, medical debt. Meanwhile, the top five pharmaceutical companies made 80 billion in profit last year. Mm. And we are subsidizing them to the tune of billions of dollars. So the American taxpayer, your taxes are going to subsidize them. And then they turn around and make drugs with your tax money. And then they will price gouge you. Even though the government, by the way, has the power of what's called marching rights to go in and stop that, but they don't because they don't want to to, uh, challenge the, uh, the pharmaceutical companies. Meanwhile, because of all this, we have 1.3 million people rationing their insulin. I, I pointed that out recently in a, a talk I gave in England, and people looked at me like they couldn't even believe it. You don't yeah. have people rationing their insulin yeah. in any other advanced democracy or and in some other countries that have universal health care. It's a matrix. It is a corporate matrix of economic tyranny. Insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, gun manufacturers, big food companies, big agricultural companies, big chemical companies, big oil, big banks, big tech companies at this point, and defense contractors. And that that I just described to you is baked into the cake. It is the new status quo. This has been building up and fortifying itself for over 40 years. That system will not disrupt itself. Only the people can disrupt it only through that revolution in the ballot box. So of course they want you to think I'm not qualified because what they want you to think is, oh, you have to be someone who knows how to perpetuate that system. Mm -hmm. That's what they call qualification. My qualification is that I know something about how to disrupt it. Mm. I like that. (laughs) Let's disrupt it. I think, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) thank you very much. Um, I think the girls are here. <laughs> I say, yeah, I mean that kind of seriously. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, that the girls um, are here, that the women of America are going to stand up and say, this is, this is hurting our children. This absolutely. Killing our children. Absolutely. As a mother myself, a new mother ish uh, from two years ago, I had the worst, most traumatic experience delivering my child. The mortality rate of black women is astonishing uh, when it comes to mortality birth rate. And now I see why I ended up getting featured on the front page of our our Kansas City Star newspaper for my story and what happened to me. I'm not going to talk about it here, but the idea of what's happening in our healthcare system. And you say that we don't have a healthcare system. We have a sick care system. And I would love to hear you talk about that and the way that you think that you're going to disrupt it. Well, uh, on my website, which is Marianne2024.com, I hope people will see my whole health plan because I don't, even though I stand for Medicare for all universal health care, as I've been discussing here, how important it is that we have health care for everyone. It is also important for us to realize you can't just treat sickness. You have to proactively cultivate health. So many of our food policies are unhealthy. Mm -hmm. So many of our environmental policies are unhealthy. So many of our chemical policies are unhealthy. The toxins in our air, the carcinogens in our food, the PFAS in our water. So when I think of healthcare, I think of all we have to do to create health and prevent disease, not only how to treat it should it arise. Another thing, it's part of my whole health plan that if you go to the doctor, 
And the doctor, because remember, we have 85 million people in this country who are uninsured or underinsured. So I have had doctors say to me, it used to be one woman who's a doctor in Detroit said this to me. She said, 15 years ago, if I told someone I was prescribing a certain treatment, they would say, what are the, what are the side effects? Today, they'll say, how much does it cost? Because of how many people in this country, your insurance will pay for you to go to the doctor, but your insurance will not cover the treatment. Yeah. Your insurance will not cover the drugs. Your insurance will not cover the test. So like one doctor said to me, I don't even know why I bother to practice medicine. Hmm. I tell them what they need and they say, I can't afford it. Right. It's, it's so horrifying and unnecessary. And it only exists because of the institutionalized greed of the insurance companies. We do not need the middleman. But this is the thing. Not only that, under my plan, let's say you go to the doctor and the doctor says, this is what's wrong with you. And this is the pharmaceutical drug that I recommend. Under my plan, it's mandated that the, the doctor's office has to show you on a computer any evidence-based, um, statistically proven efficacy of any treatment that is non pharmaceutical. So they can't be lobbied. So if there's a non, uh-huh, and then you get to decide. Yeah. But too many times that doctor was not even taught about that in medical school. Most medical schools you have like, they have half a year of training in uh, nutrition, for instance. Right. And also my plan has to do with, you know, the different ways that we would actually subsidize people for things like taking better care of your body, mm-hmm. more exercise, the things that we know actually help people cultivate a healthier life. And I also have a whole section on the website on root causes healing, because that's the, that's what's wrong with our politics. It treats symptoms. It doesn't treat cause. And that has to do with everything going on. Uh, Right. That has to do with everything going on. Right. I'm in the middle of like considering a surgery right now for fibroids. And it's like, we can't afford it. It's like literally we're looking at it in the face and going, I need this protect type of preventative or special care and I can't afford it. And where a lot of, I asked um, some of my listeners on Instagram, like what they would ask you and talk to you about. And they were saying, what is happening with inflation right now? Like it 75,000 a year doesn't do shit. Like it just doesn't cut it. it. People are living paycheck to paycheck. How in this system as it stands, can it be disrupted enough where it gives people a fighting chance to be able to provide for their families and take care of their health? Well, there are two issues about inflation, but there's something I want to talk about that. One thing, there are some normal cycles. However, those cycles are greatly exacerbated by corporate greed, which we've already discussed. But even more than that, the bigger problem is not just that inflation happens, but that the majority of people can't absorb it. Mm-hmm. So if you had universal health care, inflation wouldn't hurt so much. Yeah. If you didn't have to pay back your college loan debt, inflation wouldn't hurt so much. If you had free child care, inflation wouldn't hurt so much. Ooh, the child care. If you had a guaranteed living wage, you wouldn't inflation wouldn't hurt so much. Yeah. So, yes, there are policies that could make it not so harsh, including corporate policies. But also, it's that people live on the edge. We have policy after policy after policy that makes it easier for those who have capital to get more capital and harder for the average American to even make it. Right. And this is the richest country in the world. And people have been trained to accept that. People have been trained to accept these crumbs. And that's what my candidacy stands for. You, you know, one, one party says crumbs. The other says, we'll give you cookies. Well, you can't live on cookies either. <laughs> Every American should they work hard enough should have a chance to feast in this country. Mm. Now, making money is a good thing. That's good. The problem isn't that some people can create wealth. The problem is that far too many people never have a chance to. Mm. Far too many people are locked out in jobs that, they, that just help them survive. But they can't even foresee a time when they'd be able to thrive. Right. And many of those people are locked out by the time they're 10 years old. Millions of American children who go to schools where they don't even have the resources to teach a child to read. Yeah. And if a child can't learn to read by the age of 10, the chances of high school graduation are drastically decreased and the chances of incarceration are increased. 
This is so fundamentally wrong. <laughs> Pardon? I said, meanwhile, they're focusing on banning books. Exactly. Because, and that the reason they're doing that is because they're, they are creating this artificial war so that we don't see what's really going on. They want you to think the left is your problem or the right is your problem, but really it's don't look up because whether you're on the right or the left, you're being screwed by the same forces mm -hmm. and they're not to your right or to your left. They're above you because the forces that are really causing the problems don't care if they give to the Republicans and they give to the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And it's that corporate matrix and the fact that they're gripped, especially since Citizens United, they hold Washington hostage. And once again, the only thing that will override that, in addition to an active a revitalized labor movement, which is happening, uh, is a revolution at the, at the ballot box and electing someone who will actually name these things and say these things and stand for the changes that will effectuate uh, a real solution. I have to ask this. Once you are in office, will you follow through on those promises? Well, let's be very clear here. The American president does not have a magic wand. And we don't want the American president to have a magic wand. The president is is one of three co-equal branches, right? So it's not like when I get to office, just elect me and within a month, you're going to have universal health care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, it's not going to happen that way. But I will have the capacity uh, to appoint people who had our uh, agencies, which had been captured by corporate forces. We will not have people from big ag running the agricultural department. We will not have a former board member at Raytheon running the defense department and so forth. We will not have a state department that does more to, to monitor arms sales than real diplomacy. I will also have the power to set a national agenda I will have the power of the executive of executive orders should they be necessary. And I will have the power of the bully pulpit. So I will be as real with you as president as I'm being real with you right now. When it comes to our personal conversations, Americans do get real. But when it comes to our political conversation, we've just been trained to be shallow. Mm -hmm. And I would like to demonstrate as president a much deeper, more authentic political conversation in which I am advocating for the people. Mm -hmm. I'm not playing footsies under the table <laughs> with those corporate overlords. That's why right now, I don't care who the president is, whether it's been Republican or Democrat, they fall in line with big oil. They fall in line with the defense, uh, the defense industry. So you have a president, for instance, Biden, who, you know, calls himself the climate president. Well, he, he has, there's some healthy investments in green energy in the Inflation Reduction Act. But on the other hand, he's given more oil drilling permits even than Trump did. Mm -hmm. And he okayed the Willow Project, the $8 billion yeah. ConocoPhillips uh, project on the North Slopes of Alaska. You put those two together and they completely Cancel. nullify. Yeah, that's right. Right. So it's not enough to invest in green energy. You have to ramp down, not ramp up fossil fuel extraction. And I would declare a climate emergency. And I think what's really important here, Leah, is that we realize or not realize, but at least, you know, my my job is to not tell people what they should or what they should realize. No, no, no. My job is simply to submit to people this option. And my contention is nothing short of the kind of fundamental reform I'm talking about will be enough to beat the fascists in 2024. The only way to beat the fascists is not by saying to people, hey, they're fascists. The only way to beat fascism is to say to the American people, we are offering you so much more. Mm -hmm. We are offering you a set of policies that does provide for your inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's why I believe that I'm the candidate who would defeat uh, the Republicans. And even more than that, start the real fundamental repair of this country. Mm. People's lives are falling apart. I know. People's I know. Lives we, are falling apart. We talk about it. We 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 listen. We I watch it like personally and as obviously you know a civilian here, like we're seeing what the the crumbling of our future. Like we were seeing the uh -huh. what we thought and dreamed about and what we thought could be possible no longer. And what we question for our children and our children's children and so on. It just, it becomes really anxiety-ridden. Well, it is. And that, 
And then that system says, where does the mental health crisis come from? Right, right. You, exactly. you cannot overstate the, the role of economic anxiety in the fact that people are, how, how do you live with chronic economic anxiety month after month, year after year? How am I going to raise my kids? How am I ever going to be in a job that I, I like rather than just something where I have to be to get the benefit? Mm. People's lives start falling apart. And that was my my next question is how essentially like for, the, for those who are struggling, those who are really having a challenge with their mental anxiety, having a tra- challenge with being able to perceive what their future is going to look like. I, I'm a medium and uh, every time, every day that I sit down and I do work, I come in contact with someone who's committed suicide. And the the amount of clients that I have that are like, yes, this is what happened to see the mental crisis up close in that way. Like it was staggering. Like I it was staggering. I just didn't realize that suicide was so apparent. We're not going to talk about suicide in our last four minutes, but it is, it is staggering to see the crisis of our mental health and what tips do you have for the people and being able to sustain their consciousness vibration to sustain positivity, to sustain hope even in a time where it feels like nothing can be done. And we just continue to off offset and bypass because we can't deal with the reality of what's happening. First of all, I'm sure that the abolitionists had desperate days and I'm sure the women's suffragists had desperate days and the early labor organizers and the civil rights movement but it was their solidarity with one another. We need, we need to remember hope is born of participation in hopeful solutions. We're so atomized. This, whether you call it late stage capitalism, unfettered capitalism, vulture capitalism, whatever you call it, has put us in our, not only our silos according to ethnicity and politics, but even our personal cages. We have got to hold hands. We've got to hold hands, be involved. If it's not me, Make it whatever candidate you, you do like. And it can't even, even if you like me, thank you, but you've also got to get involved in your congressional races. You're going to have to also get involved in your senatorial races. You're also have to, going to have to get involved in your local politics. You're going to have to get involved in the state house because that's a ground zero for a lot of this right now. So a lot of it has to do with realizing that political activism has simply got to become part of what we think of as a well-lived life. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the external. On the internal, it's what, it's what the Dalai Lama said. In order to save the world, we must have a plan, which is the political. But in order for any plan to work, we must meditate. Meditate, pray, whatever your practice is, secular, religious, whatever it is, reflection, going within, the inner work, both and. I always say pray in the morning, kick ass in the afternoon. <laughs> We're here for it, Marianne. Thank you so much for this interview and the time. Can you please tell everyone once again where they can find you? Thank you. Marianne, M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E, Marianne2024.com. And thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It was an honor. Uh, if you like this episode, please send it to someone you love and we will see you next time. hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with someone you love. And if you're interested in becoming a client for energy coaching or card readings, find me at thelovelyalia.com to read more about what I do and to book your own session. And don't forget to add me on thelovelyalia on Instagram for daily content and inspiration and hang out with me on Patreon. As always, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.